This is Femi Kuti, and you are listening to NYC Radio Live. Right, you're listening to NYC Radio Live. David Ellenbogen here. Great to have you. Very exciting show here today. Um, we are going to share an episode that first aired just after John Coltrane's birthday. A year ago? Maybe it was two years ago? But it was the birth of Brooklyn Raga Massive's Coltrane Legacy tribute. And since then, like so many other things you heard here first, um, the project has grown and found an audience and an amazing life of its own. And in fact, their album is dropping very, very soon. I'm looking at my calendar. It's dropping Friday, June 23rd. And they will be opening for Pharaoh Sanders at Celebrate Brooklyn in Prospect Park. That's June 23rd. As, and that's going to be the album release date as well. Really exciting that these guys are going to be sharing the stage with a living legend. And this is one of my favorite episodes ever. Uh, the lineup is Samir Gupta on drum set and tabla, Brandy Younger on harp, Jay Gandhi on bansuri, Arun Ramamurti on violin, Pawan Benjamin on saxophone, Trina Basu on violin, Neil Mergai on sitar, Ben Tyree on guitar, Rashad Carter on bass, and Michael Gam on bass, two bass players. And there are also amazing special guests, Rupa Mahadevan and P, uh, Yang Threadgill on vocal, uh, Anupam Shabarkar on Saro, Jessica Luri on saxophone, Ken Shoji on violin, Dawood Kringle on Dilruba, and Giancarlo Luigi on shaker, got all that. So, um, you're going to want a copy of album that's coming out. It's this band's live performance without all this talking and, and stuff. and um, Beautifully mixed. And um, we're going to be sharing that with you right now. So I hope you enjoy. I do want to let you know that the podcast you're listening to is uh, supported by the Rubin Museum of Art and I am just coming from the opening of their World is Sound exhibit and I can attest that it is pretty awesome. I had an amazing time. Particularly they took the Ohm Lab thing really far and nicely and put on your calendar. Ak October 21st, Raga's Live Festival, 24 hours of music. This is from broadcast the Rubin Museum of Art. You can be there and say hi. So, 
Um, we will start this episode with a short conversation with myself and the uh, Tabla Maverick. upstart of the tabla uh, in New York City, Samir Gupta, who's the visionary behind this project, playing drum kit so beautifully as well. Um, so you'll get to hear our conversation, and then we'll hear most live concert. But you'll want to buy your copy album, which is available at Bandcamp. Bandcamp. All right. Thanks for listening. You're going to enjoy this. I, I think it was so special. Let's start with one, just to wet your whistle. We'll, we'll start with the opening track of this performance. And then we'll have that conversation with Samir Gupta and then hear more of the concert. Sounds like a good plan? Good. Here we go. <laughs>
Yeah, Alice to me, she was really, I kind of got introduced to her music. I think it was really through like Journey and Sati Dananda, but I also got really psyched about um, Pata the El Daoud, and I thought that record was absolutely brilliant. And I really... Who's on that one? Uh, it's Joe Henderson and... Uh, see who else is on. I think it's Ron Carter. Is it Ben Riley on drums or no? I think it might be Ben Riley on drums, possibly. He's on a few Alice records. I can't remember the exact lineup, but I remember that song, Pata the El Daoud, which I thought was just like awesome. Right. You know, That's just, a dum. It's like dum, 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 It's like this march kind of. Oh, okay. um, <clears throat> and then you had on a very early record that I put out in 2002 uh, with a group called The Supplicants. It was a band that I'd started in the Bay Area in California. On our second record, we did that song. And um, part of that time in my life, I was really, really excited about Alice's music and the spiritual jazz element of it. Um, and I remember going down to L.A. to her like annual Coltrane celebration and saw her perform. And I actually got to meet her face to face just in the midst of the crowd. Wow. There was like an incident where like I was like trying to sort of get to the stage or maybe I was just like trying to get in the area yeah. she was at and she was leaving the stage and all these people were like around her and she basically ended up crossing paths that her crowd ended up crossing paths with me and I ended up right in the middle of it I was right in front of her and I didn't know what to do you know so I touched her feet you know I took wow. pranam you know I was said you know I really told her that her music was very beautiful to me and I actually gave her my record I was like had it there and oh. um, so it was really a special moment and I think that for me like her music really represents um something that's like a little bit raw in the spirit you know in the soul like something that's maybe um not totally pristinely worked out through like hours and days and years of practice right like something like a classical musician or like a you know or like a raga musician you know it's like they, it sounds like they have so much like control and then when I started hearing Alice at first, I was like, wow, it just sounds like she's kind of like barely hanging on sometimes. Like it's just such an out sound, you know, it's mm -hmm. just like really on the outskirts of what I was hearing, you know. Um, and now when I listen to Alice, I'm, I'm very different. My ears evolved and I can appreciate her level of control and her level of like execution and, and her ear even, you know. Um, but it's still unlike anything I've ever heard. And so for me, that, that also says a lot as far as an artist, anyone who can kind of like the second you can put on their record, you can know immediately who it is, even if you've never heard that song before. Like you can just hear from their touch. Oh, instant. Yeah. Instant. And I'm going to close this door. Huh? Yeah. Uh, I was telling you about um, this record I'm going to kick you, which is uh, her on piano jazz, Marion McCartney. Oh, yeah, yeah. And what I learned from that is her whole aesthetic is accomplished in a single note. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, she plays with so many people and they paint this like incredible somehow it's a very eastern kind of uh, portrait of, of sound really it's yeah. like so lush and she just does it by yeah. herself on the piano right away you're like <laughs> oh my god that's Alice Coltrane I mean yeah. part of it is uh, approaching the piano like a harp I would yeah, say yeah totally I was going to say the same um, thing I think that that connects it somehow I mean not like either of those instruments are associated with eastern music at all mm -hmm. um, but for some reason her like nature or something like breathes out this to me like a sense of the east and india you know what i mean like yeah. and it's really amazing to me when i think about john coltrane and his life and how he went through so many evolutions it's like really amazing to think about how that he connected with a woman like that and you know opened up even more of 
my interpretation of how Indian music and India is connected with Coltrane and its music. You know, like I, for our Coltrane tribute, I made a deliberate point of doing a few Alice Coltrane songs. You know, yeah. And I think that not a lot of people would necessarily put those on the on the on the menu for a Coltrane tribute. They just right. say John Coltrane, and yeah. you know, there's so much material right there. Yeah. Um, so there was a real deliberate attempt to kind of like select the songs I think that, that accentuated that connection. Yeah. I actually just thought of another sense in which him and her music is Indian. And this is a story I got not from Alice, but Alice told this guy the story. Mm-hmm. He passed it on to me. Um, this guy um, is helping turn her house in Huntington, Long Island, into a museum. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I heard about we that. Work, we should work with him. Yeah. Um, and he said that Alice told him that upstairs in Huntington, Long Island, he spent like a week uh, doing, I don't know what you would call it, but the type of Indian practice where someone just leaves food for you outside your door and you're on your, you're on your own for like six or seven days, mm. you know, but your, your needs are taken care of. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously he was doing a lot of meditating, which, mm-hmm. which was important to him. And um, he emerged beaming with sheet music in his hand. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was a love supreme. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, I mean, I never really put that together as another another sense that, that mm-hmm. he had. So, for you, I hear it even in his free stuff. I hear something of that same uh, mission almost. I, I don't know if you feel the same way. Like, um, Well, I mean, I think that... I, I definitely hear it in the connection of like meditation. You yeah. Know? To me, that meditation is a process where you sort of turn inward and you uh, feel the infinite. Mm-hmm. And I think that for his later music, I think that Coltrane really, you know, went there. You know, because like his sound was like just free of any right. of any tethers. Like yes. it was just like completely um, like you were just in outer space right. you know what I mean it felt that way at times but in a way outer space is like such a silent place and so it's like to, it's odd to think that there would be that kind of music happening in outer space but yes. to me it's like that's where it takes me like it takes me into the sense of the infinite yeah. you know, that limitless potential of like what is it that exists and what is reality and what is the universe and it's just um, there is no limit there's no understanding it there's no trying to grasp it or put it into some sort of box you know what I mean and I think that that's what his music represented to me it represented like you know just totally a free spirit you know and I think that when you see his attitude towards it right it's like that makes it even more meditative you know like because he was such a calm person right like he was he was like such a thoughtful person he was so kind of he was just very human in a way you know what I mean? He was like, a, he seemed like a type of person that you would, like Alvin said, like you would take a bullet for him. You know yeah. what I mean? And I think that that kind of thing says a lot about hum- his humanity, right? So I think that to see that in a person and then to see how they show this, you know, limitlessness of colors and music and the sound and it's just like still sheets of sound, but it's just like, oh my God, like what is going on? It's just right. like, you know, um, it's even like you didn't think he could turn on the faucet of creative flow anymore and he just it starts found some other levels yeah. it's like a waterfall suddenly you know sound it's just like amazing that's sort of where it takes me you know and I think that Indian music to me has that sense of like a spectrum right so like it's a journey and I think that 
when you start out, it's very calm and peaceful. Mm-hmm. When you get to the end, it's it is feels like that, like that yeah. ecstatic place where, like, yeah. you know, and a lot of times the level of virtuosity is like insane at that level. Right. It's almost like they're not even people playing it. It's like their hands are going so fast right. or they're blurring, you know, and the precision is like, it's so hyper precise. It's just almost unworldly. It's like superhuman or something, you know? Um, and to witness that and to see it happen is like, it, I don't know. To me, it's, it's reminds me of meditation too. It makes me think about magic. It makes me think about like levitation and stuff. Like, you know, like I would be, would wonder sometimes you could make like a little animated video with an Indian classical musician just playing at the end of a concert and like you can feel like the energy escalating and then yeah. they just start levitating. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you see them under their, their That'd be legs start to lift up. That'd be pretty easy to pull off in cartoon oh, yeah. form. Yeah. Get on there. I think I saw it happen once. In real life? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I believe it. <laughs> wow. And you know, I think um, what you're saying right now about the uh, the infinite in something like an out free free jazz type situation, mm-hmm. which I also have to say, I I felt in, in my early journey of producing music, I got thrown into producing a lot of free jazz concerts. Uh-huh. In a way, it was a little hard for me because I'm like, they don't go after the audience in the way that I I feel the. Like, right. You know, make everybody feel comfortable. Right, right. You know, it's. It can, I don't think. Yeah, I don't. I think that's a. Good, that's yeah. a great point. I think that a lot of the free jazz movement came out of an era in humanity where, like, people were not comfortable, and and being too comfortable was actually causing a problem in society. And I think wow. that. Wow. You know, I think that like a lot of it has to do with a sense of wanting to make everybody happy. You know, which is, it's it's also sort of a little bit too. Um, it's too easy, you know. It's like that's not really why we're here. Um, even though, even though we love making people happy and it's in our nature to do that, we can actually do more and we can help people feel that like they're 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 being expanded and then potentially even more happiness can be achieved, you know. And sometimes, even as we were talking right. earlier, sometimes it takes some harsh moments yes. and it sometimes takes putting someone out of their comfort zone. Right. But then the benefit of something like that is actually great, great. You know, you end up having a deeper relationship with something. And the same thing happens with music. You know, it took me a long time to appreciate Sun Ra. And I think that even though at a surface level, when I first heard Sun Ra, I was like, okay, like Sun Ra stuff sounds unique. And I love it for that. I think later I started to really want to hear that sound. You know, I I found it to be something I didn't realize music could be like that. And once I realized it later, I wanted to be a part of that. Yeah. You know, and I embrace that more. But maybe the initial process of it was very uncomfortable. Also, I think it's a music that has to be experienced live. It's not really translated in recording. Like when you go to mm. a free jazz an event, like say Sunrise Orchestra, uh-huh. you're going to experience a deliverance like a going to a Pentecostal church, if mm-hmm. that's your thing. Mm-hmm. Like you're going to get there. You're going to be whipped into a frenzy in yeah. some kind of way. Because that's the only way to survive, almost. You're getting so much information thrown at you and so mm-hmm. many new ideas. Um, it's tough to say. I mean, I think I've listened to some Sam Rivers records that I just, I feel like I hear, like, fire coming out of it. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's so amazing. You, it, I feel like I'm there. Right. You know, there's something okay. about, about the right. experience. You know? but, but still, like, if one is trying to understand this music and they've never seen it live, yeah, 
what you're not there's like a whole spiritual thing that you're not seeing and like mm-hmm. and, and and there's a reverence you know in the audience too like they yeah. get it like yeah. it, it's very shamanic i would say and mm-hmm. if you're gonna listen to like shamans on record you might be like okay i get it <laughs> like, i was oh, like this yeah. pentatonic thing yeah, I get it. <laughs> right no i think i think that there's again i think that in one thing i've learned is just that the listener and the person who's experiencing the music like they are the only person who can define what it means you know it's kind of like interpreting a dream right it's like you own you're the only person that can actually say whether an interpretation is correct or not mm. about a dream you have right so to me, it's like even if you're if you're a really serious Indian uh, jazz musician, let's say, right, and you listen to some Indian classical music, um, there'll be certain elements from your frame of reference that will make you sort of logistically you have to understand it in the terms you know. So you're like, okay, it is a pentatonic, sure, right. yeah. Um, but the fact is, is there's a lot more going on there than just that. Yeah. And and if you sort of can come on over and say what's going on here like I know that you guys are using a pentatonic but that's not all I'm going to take out of here I'm going to yeah. try and take something else then you start to appreciate the significance of those notes and the significance of how one moves between those notes and sort of what those motions mean and those right. motions in Indian music are are they're definitive you know like it's not even just about the notes it's about what words are sung on those notes in what composition mm. and that you have to understand that context you know what I right. mean without that context you can understand it as a pentatonic right. you know you could understand it as something that's harmonically possibly like very simple harmonically right. um, it's modal right Right. that's like those are terms that seem simple to only because in American or Western music we should say the harmonic complexity right, has right, gone right. through great evolution even though yeah and so for, for them, a modal piece or a piece that only adheres to five pitches and doesn't right. change the bass, something like that seems very maybe basic, yeah. right? But the fact is, is like that basic thing is a building block for a whole nother music from a whole nother part yeah. of the world that has reached high levels of improvisation and artistry yeah. and virtuosity. So when you think about those basic building blocks, you can't reduce those down to anything, right? right. There are the basic components and everything yeah. is built on top of that right and so like you have to sort of be able to say you have to come down to that level essentially you know as mm-hmm. a listener and as a yeah. as a practitioner i think as a musician you have to come down to that level i don't want to say anything is like down or beneath of something yeah. else but when i say down i mean you need to go down to the building blocks you need yeah. to look that low but you also need to lower yourself that low yeah. so that you're seeing it as somebody who yeah, appreciates it in. yeah and you appreciate that this is where it's starting and now what's the next step up? Right. What's the next step up? And now you see that, oh, shoot, there's right. like a huge staircase that goes to the top of a tower. And this tower was built on only five pitches. Maybe.
Generation like Ravi Shankar was, from what I heard, actually disturbed by Coltrane's latest music. He didn't understand it. He said mm -hmm. it, it sounded angry. Uh -huh. he, could, he didn't get it. Understandably, you mm -hmm. know, because uh, I mean, if people haven't heard really late period Coltrane, uh, it's it's all in there, including. Yeah, I mean, it's also a little bit oversimplifying something to just say it's angry. In the same yeah, way, yeah. in the same way, Indian classical music sometimes I feel like is oversimplified by saying that. Araga is um, romantic, uh -huh. right? It's right. like 
whatever like who said that it was romantic like just you clearly feel maybe some right, romance right, right, right. maybe Ruby G had like an angry maybe yeah. he had a bad day when he heard that or something I don't right. know mm-hmm. I mean in some situations yeah. I think he maybe wouldn't feel that way um, depending on like right. maybe the, the context that he was coming to it with right. and I think that you know for me that's the sort of level of respect that it takes to really like bring these worlds together you yeah. know what I mean like I agree with you that like those are yeah. that's like a, a thing that keeps these it, it's clearly an example of how these worlds are not seeing each other right because like mm-hmm. in one side of the fence this free jazz quote unquote cacophonous noise right. music is looked at as very beautiful and very like liberating and spiritual mm-hmm. but then when someone from the Indian classical world looks at that it's very confusing and they're like well what the heck is this it sounds right. just like noise you know yeah. so you, we can definitely appreciate both sides of the fence but there is a disconnect yes. right and I think that for me a lot of like my mission and I think a lot of the mission with a lot of the musicians we play with David and Raga Massive I think it's it's really to have there be a genuine sort of representation of this music in both places right which involves deep appreciation involves respect it involves like dialogue and it involves you know research and exploration it involves really studying the stuff and I think a lot of the musicians we work with are serious jazz musicians and serious musicians on other traditional musical forms in other parts of the world and then you have a ton of great musicians who are serious about Indian classical music I would say like 90% 95% of the Raga Massive crew are like seriously into yeah. Indian classical music and I think that that is something you're finding in this generation right which is right. which is that like these like you think about the term fusion right and fusion is kind of like oh well, we're putting this with this cool we fuse them together right mm-hmm. now like think about that as a person right like you know you're not fusing two people together to create a new person right if you were to define this new person right it would be so offensive to just say like oh you are a fusion of this person and this person Right. Like that would just, to me, that would really bother me. I'd be like that. You're really missing a ton of who this person is. You know what I mean? And to me, like the music is like that. Like in our generation, this music that from different parts of the world, it's all coming together in us as people, you know, like when we're playing a Raga Massive show, you're going to hear like some funk music possibly. You're going to hear some Indian classical music. You're going to hear some like, you know, music that has Kora, right. Or music that has like recorder. You know, like all kinds of different instruments are going to come in and the love and like the genuine respect and understanding of like this musical language, trying to bring it all together in a real heartfelt, genuine human way. I think that's what essentially carries it through these difficult waters of how things are different, how the miscommunication is happening, how, why is there a disconnect? How is there a disconnect? How is it that cacophonous music and really out of tune music is looked at as beautiful by other people? You know, and how is it looked at as, you know, beautiful that um, this music is noise by some other people? You know what I mean? Like these kinds of questions are there, but the thing that'll really get us to the resolution will just be essentially a real deep appreciation of these styles and how they can come together, right? And that happens in these musicians. It happens in the like artists who we're playing with in Brooklyn and stuff. Yeah, you know, my favorite moments from from these concerts were when one person in the band, uh, a couple times, like Pawan Benjamin, who I thought handled the role so tastefully. Yeah, at the Coltrane thing. Yeah, yeah. He would just throw in a hint of a different language that Coltrane spoke. He, he invented a lot of. Yeah. You know, musically and you just throw in a little bit of like this is Coltrane's like kind of free thing or, mm-hmm. you know and instantly Jay Gandhi would 
pick up on it because yeah. Jay is very deep into Coltrane and yeah. Jay understands that language and then Arun would, would pick up on violin he'd pick up on that language and it was like that level of respect for the other side quote side of the music yeah. that's what I've never heard done before mm-hmm. between Indian and jazz music and, and my experience of searching for it yeah. this, this new generation that it's really who they are yeah yeah I think that's it. Yeah, there's, yeah. It's, it's not even like uh, you don't think that it's um, anything other than just the music that these people are playing, you know, because it's just it just has that um, it just has that like honest sort of humanness about it. You yeah, know what I mean, like it's it, to me, it's really like when I think about the generations that have led to this point, I think about how like there was an early on stage of sort of orientalizing the music of this quote-unquote other place. And then there was a generation which was like really going and going over there then in person and getting into it. Like I'm talking about like John McLaughlin or even, yeah, yeah, like Steve Bourne is a good example. John McLaughlin, that that, um, era and Shakti and everything. But, um, and the virtuosity of course made it so that these, there was, it was closer. It was way closer. And when you think about even, and I'm, I have a four-year-old daughter, so I always think about like, you know, families and and I'm like, yeah, and that's sort of, sort of when some young guy from America met some young girl in India or something or vice versa and, and they got married and they had a kid. Right. And then you have this generation essentially, right? Where artists like John McLaughlin, Zakir Hussain, they're alive, right? They have kids. And these kids are now, they're totally in both places. They're in both worlds, right? It's like, you know, they're a child of two worlds, right? Yeah. So they're kind of like Spock. But like, <laughs> they they have all the powers of both worlds, right? And then, and you have to acknowledge that this is now one person. This is one life. And this is one thing that is not, you can't just reduce it as fusion. And you can't take it lightly either. You know what I mean? You have to like, give it its due respect. These two rivers that have crossed, like they've come from somewhere. Yeah. And those things have created this thing that suddenly is like breathing and alive when it has heart and when it has depth it's like it really comes out in the best way right and that's just really where it's just music somebody just hears it and they're like i don't know what this is right. is this coltrane is this a raga right this is awesome like it doesn't right. it doesn't yeah. matter really yeah. amen hallelujah well, children of spock <laughs> children of spock that's yeah. what we are yeah actually that's, that's a keeper <laughs>
Thank you so much, everyone. Paying Thread Guild. Rupa Mahadevan. Brandy Younger. Ben Tyree. Rashawn Carter. Michael Gam. Jay Gandhi. Arun Ramamurthy. Cohen Benjamin. Neil Morgai. Giancarlo Luigi. I'm Samir Gupta. Bunch of guest artists. Brooklyn Raga Massive. Pioneer Works. John Coltrane.